You're listening to The Setup Podcast, a podcast that helps you navigate new topics in music, tech, and entrepreneurship with the most disruptive professionals in the music industry, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use. I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And we're your hosts for The Setup Podcast. If you're like us, passionate about paving your own path, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite app because we'll help set you up for success at The Setup Podcast. I want to say a quick shout out to our amazing listeners. Truly, I created this podcast to help those who are new to the industry, just like I was once. And I'm very happy to learn that I can also provide insight to those who have been in music for a while. I want to give another shout out to all of our new listeners of The Setup Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, super excited. Um, this season, we welcome musicians as well as music professionals to explore marketing campaigns around one of the recent releases or one that they've worked on. And then we also take a look at the impact on their artists or themselves careers and what that looks like. We're going to have a bunch of different types of guests and it's going to span across many different genres and artists. And we're really hoping that this that this helps other artists with their next campaign and release. All right, Sydney. So who do we have this week? This week, we have Wacky Ali. He handles digital marketing for Sony Music UK under the label RCA Records. Prior to RCA, he was a digital marketing manager at Google, leading some of the company's most successful marketing campaigns. Wacky got a start running a Miley Cyrus fan page in 2015, amassing over 1 million followers across platform across all of the platforms while studying a degree in surgery before making his career switch into digital marketing. Now he handles marketing for artists like Lil Nas X, Miley Cyrus, Pink, The Kid Leroy, and the incredible British girl group Lil Mix. No. Today, we are discussing how Wacky and his team helped Lil Mix become a top stream girl group with the release of their newest album, Between Us, which is a compilation of their music across the last 10 years. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a service for musicians that puts your music into social platforms and streaming services. They have a cool new feature that gets your fans involved called Spotlight. You can choose a song and get your followers to vote for your song to be featured on one of their Spotify playlists. And as a bonus, your fans can also directly message you. Now let's talk about other great ways to connect with your fans. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. We know that you weren't always in music. Um, in fact, you studied and worked in surgery prior. So <laughs> yes. we're really curious, like, why did you make the switch um, into the music industry? Um, and I guess, like, just we want to hear more about your story. Yeah. So I was... I guess to kind of really set the set the picture and the story, I grew up in a really small town in the north of England, uh, which like p- even people in England don't know where it is. It's, it's that small. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just like near Manchester, so the people listed kind of know. Um, it's super north of um, England and there wasn't much kind of um, 
it, it, it wasn't a hub for music. There really wasn't anything there apart from, you know, um, your little stores. And if you wanted, you know, any kind of job, you'd have to go to the closest city. Um, so I, I was always taught that, you know, you went to high school, you went to college, you went to university, you get your degree and then you just work. And so I was like, okay, like, what do I want to do? Um, a lot of my passions just wasn't around the area I was living in. And so there was a course in surgery, which was split um, 60% going into the hospitals and actually doing work. And then 40% you would do all of your exams and your assignments and, you know, go to your lectures and your classes. And so that really appealed to me that I got to, you know, learn about the job whilst also doing it. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was studying science because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was advised that if you choose science, you can go into like anything at all. So I was like, okay, like this seems like a pretty safe option. Um, got to university, did my first year. And I, I, was, I loved surgery my first year because I thought it was super cool. I kind of liked that, um, you know, I got to see all of these super cool surgeries and what happened. And then kind of going into my second year, I realized I hated it. And so th there was an immediate switch. And I was really thinking like, okay, why did I not enjoy it? And what was I enjoying? And I had realized that I actually, en I enjoyed working with people. I enjoyed, um, you know, having that one-on-one -on -one contact and being really forward um, facing. Um, but at the end of the day, the subject didn't really interest me too much. And it wasn't something, I found myself at work staring at the clock ready for my shift to end and that was a day in day out thing and so someone once someone said you know this will be a career for you for 40 years and I was like god I can't even do this for like another 40 days never mind 40 <laughs> years I was like I need to switch so I really took some time to um kind of look into what my passions were for the first time and um, I must have been about 18 at this time and I was running my own Miley Cyrus fan page um, for about three years at that point. And I was just doing it for fun. I had no idea, you know, digital marketing was a thing. I didn't even know it existed in the music industry, but I had essentially had a platform of a million collective followers across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And I was just posting everything and anything Miley content and, you know, promoting the singles and promoting her projects and just kind of, you know, really getting fans and people excited about what she was up to. Um, and this caught the attention of Miley's team and her digital head. And so I got to work with them on digital um, activations and campaigns and also got um, reached out by NBC The Voice and MTV to work on their social media campaigns um, in conjunction with Miley. And I was like, hey, like this is actually a job. <laughs> like these people <laughs> reaching out to me are getting paid to do this for fun. So I was like, okay, let's go and do digital marketing. And so at this point, I finished my degree because I was like, okay, I really want to make sure I finish it since I've put too much work into it and I've got a year left. And so I spent my final year of my degree really looking at different options within digital marketing. I was like, okay, what can I do? Do I do a whole another um, university course? Do I do a grad scheme, which um, was something people offered to me? And I was like, I just want to learn digital marketing. Um, before I go straight into music, since I've had no kind of formal education. And so Google was offering a 
15-month um, program around a digital marketing apprenticeship, and I had applied for that and successfully got in. And I found out literally an, not even an hour, less than an hour before my final exam at university that I had got the offer. And so I walked in like with the biggest smile on my face. And this was like the one exam everyone was dreading. And so my examiner was looking at me like I was a crazy person. <laughs> I was, was like so excited. Timing. Yeah. 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 So I was like, yeah, whatever happens, like I know I'm good. Um so then I got placed into the market insights team at Google, where I got to work with um, our marketing sales and product teams across the organization. And it was really that hub for, um, you know, developing Google strategy for our B2C clients, as well as, you know, doing everything from um, having our target audience uh, optimization, our brand messaging, um, developing insights for our products and, uh, I was lucky enough, since I was an apprentice, I had a really small team of three people. There was literally me, my manager, and my mentor slash colleague. And we had, I had explained to them that, you know, I came into Google wanting to do music, and right after this apprenticeship, that's what I want to do. I want to go into the industry and work with uh, musicians and artists. And so I was given projects that would essentially meet the needs of those. So I got to work on our YouTube festival and look at how consumers were using YouTube and why they keep going back to certain subscribers or creators, musicians, what their connection is with YouTube, as well as work on our um, new marketing strategy for Google, which was our global campaign of how people now shop and purchase in the online space. And I got to lead our marketing um, activation for that which I was given two weeks notice to do <laughs> to come up with a plan and execute it since um, this happened right at the brink of lockdown and so all of our in-person activations got scrapped and everything had to be digital and the way Google was set up was I had a team full of researchers and not one person had like digital experience the way I had since YouTube Music is also a part of um Google's infrastructure, I got to network with everyone in there and really learn how that ecosystem works within the music industry and all of their previous backgrounds. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I fell into music. It's kind of funny because my my degree is in psychology and I'm in the tech <laughs> space. So I could definitely yeah. feel you when you go throughout, you're like, ah, I'm so far, but and I don't want to lose my my credits that you just do yeah. it. And yeah. then somehow you do something else to get into kind of pivot to another industry. Um, so it's fair to say that you're happy you did not <laughs> go back to surgery. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy. <laughs> so you don't want to make the switch back <laughs> no never never I always think about it, like maybe one day I'd go just for like experience it for a one-day thing but I'm like no it's too fresh the wound is too fresh yeah, <laughs> to uh, yeah that's a pun um maybe one day you can fix your wound <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah when we look back at it it feels like such a far stretch of where we started but as is apparent in your story, like there's like connectors that happens throughout your journey. I had a very similar experience. I started a career in insurance, then the medical field, um, didn't go to school for any of those. Then I finally got into media 
And when I was in media, I was similar to you where I kept expressing this affinity towards music. And so it started off as like group activities with my team and going to concerts. And then I started working with partners like Pandora, Spotify, you know, YouTube Although like Chicago is so huge, it's still not a hub um, for music. I mean, there's a scene, but it's just not where you do a lot of business or it's not really thought of that way, I guess. Um, so I kind of like in media was like, oh, Sydney is like the music girl. And yeah. even though I've never worked in the industry, I had no idea what I was talking about. I just loved it. And I just want to work in all the campaigns. So eventually I got connected with the publisher of Rolling Stone at the time, who after one conversation offered me a job, even though it was just like a networking, like, hey, hi, how are you call? And it's just so interesting because I think things like that happen all the time. Um, it doesn't have to be the super traditional way of applying and having that in your resume and having that background. It really is like, if you can connect the dots for people, like what you did, like you were able to show that you can do something, you can do the job, even without you, as long as you can talk about it and show what you've done, you shouldn't really have too much worries on if you've had like employment in that. 100%. Because I had no idea that I could even use what I was my fan page as experience. Um, and I didn't even realize, you know, how credible experience it was until I started working at a label. And seeing everything that happened, I was like, I was doing all of this on my fan page, whether it was, you know, updating streams or chart positions or, you know, coming up with strategy to gain more streams and, um, and fans and conversion and all of that. And I think it sometimes takes um, either working in the field to then realize all of those second nature yeah. skills and experience you have. Um, yeah, that's definitely what I had found to be my case. So like, why did you start that fan page? Yeah, so I think I think the thing is no one ever, any super fan never wakes up and says, I'm going to be a super fan. You know, it just doesn't <laughs> work like that. <laughs> I think what had happened was, so in my case, I had friends who... Um, lived Miley as well as as well as me and I would just you know post about her on Facebook and the summer had come around and we all broken up for uh, broken up at school and they had asked me if I wanted to help work with them on a fan page that they were running and I was like yeah sure like I love Miley and it's a cool thing to do with my friends and so it was initially a you know a bonding experience with my friends over common ground we had and you know then day in, day out, when you're posting about a certain artist and you're looking at kind of what they're doing way beyond just music, you know, whether it's their activism or who they're partnering with and, you know, what they're actually speaking about to their audience, um, that starts to resonate. So for me, it really resonated that, you know, Miley, this was kind of going into the bangers era, which <laughs> now everyone has their kind of uh, opinion Love on. It. Yeah. And this is where, you know, for me, she was really talking about being independent and, you know, standing your ground and just kind of being who you want to be. And that really resonated with me at the time. And so um, day in, day out, just kind of keep following her and keeping up with what she was doing and posting about it. I naturally fell into being a super fan to where, 
I did know all the facts and kind of knew everything that happened in her camp. Um, so that was the initial reason of how I started my fan page and just kind of seeing that growth, um, I decided to replicate it. And it was just super cool at that time, you know, seeing the, the numbers go up and following all of that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what led me into being uh, running a fan page. That's insane. Like, I wish I thought of something like that. How did you reach such a huge following? And then how did you keep that momentum going? Yeah. So I think, I think it was purely looking at what content was resonating with audiences. Cause I, I do remember kind of in the early days, I was just kind of posting anything and everything. (laughs) And I then realized that certain um, posts, whether it was, you know, Candid of Miley or um, just kind of events she was performing at were getting more um, engagement. And so I started to kind of go down that route of, okay, I know this works. Let me post more about this. So the reach was um, increasing and then the followers were increasing. And then kind of through that, it was a thing of, okay, what can I do since, you know, I wasn't the only fan page at the time. There were was, was so many others. Right. And I was like, okay, what can I do that is kind of distinct and unique to my page? And I really wanted it to be about community and having that feel of community and really sharing everyone's opinion. So I would, you know, constantly um, reply to fans, share their posts and really make it about kind of the community more than anything else. And I think, that is what really helped kind of propel that um, following Mm -hmm. and the numbers over the years. Mm -hmm. Wow. And um, when NBC and then, you know, Olivia um, was part of like Miley's um, digital team, social team, when did they take notice? And was there a certain point where you thought, wow, this is way more than a hobby now? Yeah, so NBC had reached out in 2016 um, on Twitter. And so this is when Miley was a um, guest on, on the show. She wasn't, an, she wasn't a, a coach until I think 2017, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, they had reached out and were like, you know, here are like some super cool assets, like just post about the show and use it and um, let's, you know, get the engagement super high. And so week in, week out, I would always just post about the upcoming episodes, what had happened, um, posting her outfits and just creating buzz around the show and Miley herself. And this was, looking back at it, it was kind of insane that I had to work to a US time zone being in the UK. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so I would... And then, obviously, I was working at surgery, so I had to be there at 7 a.m. And, you know, you have to be there at 7 a.m. You couldn't be five minutes late because, yeah, it just right. wasn't the prettiest sight. And so um, I would literally wake up about some – if I wasn't working, I would stay up to, like, 1 or 2 a.m. and post about the show whilst it was live. And this would maybe go on for about two hours and if I was working, I would wake up at 5 a.m. The first thing I would do was grab all of the assets, all the pictures from the site and just post it on the way to work whilst I was commuting and really kind of be efficient with my time of, OK, I've got this spare time. How do I use it to still stay relevant in that space um, online? And so that 
relationship happened um over 2016 and 17 and it was 2017 when Olivia then started to reach out to myself and other fans um online since I think that's when she had officially started working with Miley's team again and um she was amazing and really listened to our ideas and um, our input and feeding that back to the team which now being in the industry I kind of see what she had to do um, behind the scenes because sometimes fans would request things and whether it would happen or not they wouldn't understand the process behind all of that mm-hmm. and so um me and Olivia had um worked on kind of ideas in 2017 where I would just kind of relay them and then um starting this job at the label we kind of um started to connect um more frequently and just kind of you know um share our stories more and what we were working on and what we've got coming up I think that's so important like especially for an artist to like have the fan clubs you know those who are who are literally on the ground talking with all the fans and the community to understand like the conversations because no one person can be like I know what every single one of my fans want and what they're talking about. So I think that's really cool that they got you involved. No, hundred percent. And whether it was, you know, kind of singles they thought um, should be the next single or even just kind of release times and strategies. I remember when Malibu first was announced, it was, um, was it Malibu? No. So, so Malibu was announced and it was, and it came out 16 hours before tracking week ended and it you know gained a lot of sales and streams that if it had been postponed they would have gone into the top five and so when she is coming was um, announced the ep it was the same kind of release date and as fans we had really urged the team to push it back those 16 hours so that she would actually benefit from having a better debut of the ep which went you know, it ended up debuting at top five and was the best um, debuting EP for a female that year. Wow. And, you know, that was only possible because, you know, Olivia and the team had listened to um, what we had to say and, you know, really took that on board. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy just seeing how that really came full circle. I mean, and that's only going to benefit like her and her team since you have already done a lot of the groundwork too um, by getting more fans like yourself, just more engaged. If you had never created Miley's fan page, do you think you would be where you're at today? Oh, no. Yeah, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have been doing any of the things I did without it. Um, Yeah, I think things just happen. I really do believe things happen for a reason. Like when I was eight years old, I had written a book at school and it was, you know, just this about a story of an alien on a planet. <laughs> the, kind of, <laughs> the, kind of relevance is, the planet was called Google Plugle. And I had no idea that I would then go on to work at Google like 10 years later. <laughs> so I really feel like at this point things just aren't coincidental and things really do happen for a reason um, yes. yeah I feel like I was always meant to have that fan page and I know without it I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd have no idea what I would be doing probably in surgery crying and 
staring at the clock right now. <laughs> like I'm doing overtime. I don't even want to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably wouldn't have time off. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I actually, I really agree with you on everything happens for a reason. Also, I'm a firm believer. I'm if like it doesn't happen now, it would eventually happen. So I think you just got here quicker by having it. But if that was what you found interesting, it probably would have happened eventually just down the line. If you have the will and you kind of know what you want and you sort of have a plan in place um, and you leave room for flexibility, like you can get there. 100% and that's something I really saw when I was at university since my kind of um, peer group was people of all age ranges you know it wasn't just our kind of 18 to 20 year olds it was like our 18 to I want to say like 40 year olds and for me it was like I thought it was super cool that people um, you know in their 30s to 40s wanted to make this career change for themselves and for me it was really inspiring just kind of seeing that and being like you know if this doesn't work out five ten years down the line I can always change it it's never too late to change um, what you're doing and to actually follow your passions Um, I'm just really glad that I did learn it so early on yes yes very lucky on that and you know life isn't linear there's always exactly. time. Um, so now looking at what you're doing at RCA now, um, you know, you're working with an incredible roster of these yeah. crazy huge artists, like international and domestic. Um, you know, just to name some, just for the listeners, you know, you're still working with Miley Cyrus in a different way. You've worked with Beyonce, Zane, and now um, who we really want to talk about in this episode is a little mix. Um, yeah. You know, you've recently worked on their newest album between us, which, you know, is their greatest hit album. And, um, as I dug into it, it's, it might be their last for a while. (laughs) Who knows how does what you were doing with the fan page now help you with these artists? Oh, it helps so, so much. I remember my first week, um, I had started and three days into it, they wanted my ideas on a strategy for one of our biggest releases so it was the Sam Fisher and Demi Lovato club for what other people say and obviously Demi isn't signed to RCA so we really wanted to know okay how do we use her fan page and um, you know Demi grew up with Miley and have very similar fan bases that work the same and I got to you know since I was super familiar with with Demi and um, their fan base I was able to just be like, okay, this is what their fans want. Like, I know what they want because I've seen it on Twitter. I've spoken to their fans and I got to come up with, you know, the teasers or whether it was teasing the lyrics and having TikTok exclusives to then creating playlists and mood playlists and picking actually all the songs. Like, I did that because I knew what Demi loved in terms of her um, music taste you know having Barbara Streisand and all of those super cool artists that people wouldn't initially kind of you know know of um yeah that was super super helpful and I wouldn't have known that strategy without um doing the fan page and creating the um birds online and so Lil Mixer's fan base work exactly the same you know they're like an army it's kind of like the BTS (laughs) army but not as intense (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. I love when people use that term army because yeah. it just totally visualizes what these people are. Like they will defend little mix no. till the end. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Like I would, I would get attacked when I first started it. <laughs> Cause I run the RC uh, socials as well. And it was, I was like, Oh my God, I've never been at this end. Even though I've always like seen it from, uh, a fan page perspective of like, you know, the, the fans kind of getting wild of, over things it was definitely an eye opener <laughs> wow. so yeah yeah wow so what is your role um and part with um you know the between us campaign yeah so i work in both the marketing and digital um digital areas of the of the label yeah. of the teams and um i literally assist in kind of everything that needs to be done um as you know as everyone knows whatever is on paper when you apply for a job that is not even the surface level there's a whole iceberg underneath of everything else you need to do so for Lumix I feel like I've done everything from you know marketing digital graphic design audience development um yeah it kind of goes on and on of just kind of whatever whatever comes up and you need to do it sometimes you end up doing it and so I remember when I had started, um, Lumix had just become a trio and everything had to kind of um, be pulled together again of kind of what the new plan is, what the what the year was going to look like. And then, of course, you know, everyone learned that kind of midway through the year, two of the girls were pregnant. And so we were, had a deadline as well of everything we had to work to before they went off on maternity leave. <laughs> so uh, as you can imagine, the kind of timeline was really intense. So I did everything from helping arrange all of our music videos, um, publishing our music videos, getting our Vivo um, partnerships in, doing all the metadata and tagging for everything that goes on, creating graphic designs, whether it's for our mailers, our website, our outdoor posters, um, pulling makeup artists, stylists, getting everyone, you know, kind of to shoots, organizing all of that. Um, and then also coming up with a lot of um, super fan strategy ideas. Um, one of which was a greatest hits album, which was fan voted. And so we partnered with Spotify, which was a Spotify first. It had never been done before. Um, we partnered with a lot of other um, DSPs and companies, which I can't, officially say <laughs> right now what what those things are since we're still kind of mid-campaign but yeah it, it, there was so much that went into it um so I guess I'll kind of take you through kind of the step-by-step -step of really like where we started with this yeah. campaign and um, and so we had released the confetti remix um with um sweetie and um that was insane since we had literally had the video delivered two hours before it was premiered. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, with Little Mix and especially, you know, being in a pandemic, so many moving parts are happening that plans can change literally two hours before, like literally to the second. Um, and so with this campaign, it was a lot of, a lot of things were planned, but then, just because of kind of circumstances people couldn't control, a lot of things had to had to shift. Um, so we released the confetti video, made a acoustic performance, 
um, had our remixes, a follow-up from that, and then um, alongside that, released our Heartbreak Anthem um, video with David Guerra and Galantis. And when we had released these two songs, it was the second time Law Mix had simultaneously had two top tens um, in the UK, which was kind of a really insane um, thing for artists to have, especially a girl group yeah. in you know, today's age. Yeah. And kind of, you know, all of the digital activations behind that was, you know, we had to push for having lyric videos created, um, music videos created, having our filters as well on Instagram and Snapchat coming up with TikTok content of, okay, you know, what is the TikTok trend for this single going to be? Um, which, you know, every kind of campaign in, you know, today's age is 70% TikTok strategy. Right. Um, so even just coming up with having um, snippets of it. And one kind of really big thing was people didn't know the single was going to be a remix of Confetti or who even was going to be a part of it. And so cryptically on social media, I would leave little hints in um, comments and I'd tweet little kind of cryptic things that fans had to figure out. And like I said, they're an army. They literally, there was a thread of all the hints and kind of who they thought the remix was going to be with or what they thought the song was, the song was going to be. Um, even at this time, we didn't have a confirmed feature. <laughs> it was between two people. And one of the people who they had guessed, it was kind of, that was a correct choice. But Sweetie, who we ended up going with, there was only one fan who guessed this. And I was hoping they hadn't, like, no one else caught on to it. <laughs> Um, the weather it was like leaving little ice emojis or little rain cloud emojis. Um, these fans came together and were literally producing tweets, which had like over like 20K retweets and like 40,000 likes, which, you know, the reach for that is insane, like right. well over a million impressions. Um, so, even, so, you know, doing little things such as leaving cryptic hints creates so much online buzz that everyone's talking about this. And ultimately, that's, you know, you want, that's what you want people to do with your music is talk about it. Um, so that was a strategy I heavily relied on, which I knew from my fan page and just how to really work that. Um, and then this is kind of what brought us into the actual album planning. Um, since, you know, we did, we did all the features. And so we really had to think of, okay, if we're doing a greatest hits album, how do we want to position it, you know? And bearing in mind, this would have been around April time. So we had three months to get all the content we needed to get. Wow. Which isn't, yeah, that doesn't usually happen. With, Pretty quick. Um, yeah, with a campaign. <laughs> so in those three months, we literally had a full week where we shot three music videos. So it was um, the No music video, the Love Sweet Love music video, and um the Anne-Marie music video um and that was insane L literally filming three music videos back to back it, it was so insane um we had our content days as well so they would literally spend um a full day just recording content so we had so many cool YouTube series we had an album by album series where the girls talked about each album that's really cool 
yeah, their memories of it, what they had thought about um, certain um, eras. That was super cool. We filmed a at-home documentary <laughs> in, the, in that time period. We had, you know, filmed a Vivo retrospective where they went over all of their, you know, iconic music videos. Um, and whilst all of that was happening, you know, we had to think, okay, how are we really going to commemorate these 10 years? And so we had said, okay, let's come up with a 10-year history timeline website where fans can actually go through the whole 10 years of um, their career. And I had to manually <laughs> do all of this. Um, so I, have a, we, I, have a, I have a quick question before you go yeah. further. Um, so were you, were you and your team performing the whole planning and content creation slash creating assets, whether it's videos um, during the month of April? And then that's how you kind of uh, rolled out when you got your scheduling um, for the July campaign. Yeah. So it was April where we had come up with the initial ideation of what we would do. Um, so, you know, coming up, we do with the greatest hits album, doing a visual album, a fan, the voted track list. Um, and then the January, March, April, May, we actually did um, the actual planning. So, you right. know, having our stylist in, what would the visuals look like? What would the album cover look like? Go through various um, marketing designs, so even going through all the different logos, different cover arts, commissioning that with, you know, different suppliers. Mm -hmm. And then June was the month where we actually filmed everything, filmed and shot everything. And then everything after that, from July to November, it was post-production, editing, um, getting, you know, partnerships in place. And then also just kind of other little bits since, you know, if we knew we were going to have two singles, um, Love, Sweet, Love and No. And so we had to film all the promotion in June. So we had TV interviews filmed in June to air in November. Wow. And last minute, even like singles changed. <laughs> like our singles order changed. So it was like, oh, well, we actually have footage of the girls talking about no for TV, but not Love Sweet Love. So now our strategy has to change. Uh, okay, how are we going to air this part? And where is it going to fit? Uh, so yeah, everything after June, it was week by week. <laughs> yeah, week by week, everything was being changed. Wow. Yeah. And so it, it was kind of um, insane since we finished work on the 9th of June, 9th of July, actually, sorry. And I even, you know, whilst all of this is going on, you've got, you know, like 10 other artists who are in campaign. Um, and I was also moving to London as well. <laughs> I was doing a whole move across the country. So it was a, it was a lot, it was a lot of work. Um, so yeah, back to the website. So we had um, our agency pretty good develop the actual frame of the website. And then I had to go away and collate essentially 10 years of their career. <laughs> yeah, so I was literally the biggest like lawmaker stand. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> in the world at that time. You know, I was going back from the very first initial X Factor audition yes. and going through every, literally every single performance. Um, I was I was finding, and I was like, okay, should we use this for the timeline? Should we not? Every appearance, I was looking at that. Every um, you know tour date and just whatever you could think of, I was researching it. <laughs> And so we built this um, this timeline, put everything into it, um, and that ended up even launching at a later date than we wanted to. So we wanted to launch it on the day of um, the album announcement, which was in August. So it was the date that the girls were formed. Um, ended up um, posting that. And bearing in mind, you know, this was a website going alongside their existing website and existing um, merch store. And so it was like, oh, okay, this is another thing that I personally have to look after. I'm already looking after all of their music videos, their newsletters, their new stories, making sure their tickets are going live. Um, And so I was doing all of that whilst working in conjunction with even um other microsites um it's, yeah it's insane like there's yes. still things How i'm working <laughs> yeah there's still things i'm working on that still aren't live but i had been working on since june um so we had pushed out kind of um all of these little content series leading up to the album um and it, i think after after we had revealed the artwork and revealed um, you know, the pre-saves, we created our TV um, advert as well, which of course you know, was filmed in June, but all the post-production had started to happen. Um, and there's so much, I'm trying to like make sure I don't spoil anything or say anything that <laughs> doesn't come up. Um, but we've, we worked with Twitter on a um, campaign where we did a 10 years worth of tweets video um so the girls went through literally every you know kind of tweet they were being um sent to by fans and created um little um a little series for that and then i also brought stationhead to the label um so stationhead is essentially a streaming platform that fan communities use um to you know really engage with each other and also, you know, help stream their artists' um, songs and it's chart counting. So I had said to the label, you know, why don't we use Stationhead and Little Mix? You know, they do have this fan army. I do see them always wanting to have streaming parties and um, radio parties, etc. cetera. Um, so we worked with Stationhead directly to set up um, over like 10 streaming parties um, where we would have the girls chip in and surprise fans and be like oh hey you know like i'm jade i'm on the station head with you guys and actually answer questions and have that more um artist to fan interaction which i think for me was the thing that i really wanted to bring to the campaign was always bringing it back to the fans you know being a super fan and hence why we did the um greatest hits track listing as well um so with that idea we partnered with spotify and I essentially said, you know, if we're doing a greatest hit album, why don't we just make the fans choose the songs since they already know 
all the songs happening. You know, that's never happened before. So with Spotify, we partnered up with them and sent a mailer out to all of their following, which on Spotify, I think they have like, they have millions and millions of followers. So this was going to be, you know, super impactful and it was going right. to go to everyone, you know, the UK, the US, Germany, France, all of their fans. And they got to pick um, the 15, the 20 um, track list, as well as five additional songs. Um, yeah. And so that was a super cool moment um, for the fans. Um, and yeah, there were so many digital activations around that. Um, which was really fan-led. Um, and come November, we had dropped our single No um, alongside the album, um, which the fans really loved. And as you can see, you know, they were heavily pregnant in that. Yes. And then we um, and then we had to announce the, the group going on their individual solo projects. And this was a thing that, like, even the week leading up to, we didn't even know if we were going to announce it. Like, we thought we'd then we would actually be like, actually, let's not announce this the day before. But, like, that's how quick things were changing. Right. And it's like, actually, no, like, let's actually, like, announce it. The girls want to announce this. Um, and so whilst that was announced, you know, we were filming Graham Norton and having their Between Us performance. And it was like, okay, the world's going to find out a day earlier since the taping is a day earlier before it actually goes live. And it's like, okay, how are we going to really um, strategize um, and make the best um, use of this announcement? And so that's then where we kind of, you know, then switched into the Between Us video and we had dropped that for the fans as a gift. Um, so, yeah, it, there were so many moving parts in this. Yes, I, I'd say so. So of everything that you just mentioned, um, what do you think had the biggest impact to them being on the charts for 100 weeks and, you know, having all of these great individual goals and and meeting them? What do you think helped push that further, even, even past all of the ones that they've had before? Yeah, so this is something we really had to think about. Since it was a greatest hits album, we would essentially be bringing back all of their previous catalog. Yeah. So we were like, okay, how do we focus everything on the new music? And then onto the catalog come November, um, since we were announcing, you know, a greatest hits in August. And so I think the biggest kind of contributing factor to that was um, really all the marketing and digital activation we did. So having the TikTok trends and creating all the filters, which were using, you know, Heartbreak Anthem and Confetti and especially, you know, Sweet Melody. I think the fans really, really loved that. You know, it went number one in the UK, um, became their fifth number one single. So it was really fresh and kind of really brought back fans into this new, you know, all of this new music. And yeah. I think what also helped was that the dynamic had shifted that they were a trio and so creating you know all of these new magazine um press looks and having these photo shoots and then also creating the, you know the acoustic performances it just gave the fans new content to fully divulge into um i think that was that was the biggest factor since when you do have a group such as little mix it's very everything's very fan driven like the fans push everything and will let you know what they want 
<laughs> yeah. How do you, so where do you go to find out what they want? Like, is there a specific platform, a specific group? Do you yeah. guys control like, you know, a group? Yeah. So social media, social media is like the best place to find everything. Especially the RCA mentions, they don't hold back. <laughs> they, they will um, like let you know what they want. But the, the great thing as well is that fans will, um, some, you know, sometimes dm or message you and say you know we want um we want to see this you know it was like when i was working on the station head streaming party i did see a lot of fans message me after kind of saying you know this is what we want we want streaming parties but of course you can't always announce that that is what you're getting or that's what's going to happen um so it was really looking at what the fans wanted you know they wanted I remember seeing tweets about them wanting the girls to perform um, acoustic sets. And that was already something we had in plan with the confetti acoustic set. Um, And so I think also the girls knowing their fans, you know, for over 10 years, they really know what they want. And so I think it was was such a um, natural thing that fans are always posting what they want, Uh, especially in today's age. You know, I think every fan... It's like a mini music exec where they, you know, they full on talk about strategy. And I understand it because they're really passionate about um, their favorite artists and really want them to win. Um, so, yeah, I always go to social media to look for that. And um, fans just openly tweet what they want to see. That's um, that's fantastic because I, I kind of think that, um, you know, dependent on the fan base and the target audience and making sure that aligns has a lot to do with like branding. Um, yeah. I guess, how would you describe Lil Mix's branding and how have you kind of used their brand to fuel their marketing campaign um, for, the, for their album release? Yeah, so I Lil Mix's brand is very much, you know, female empowerment, sisterhood, um, you know, spreading love and love o- overall, you know, just kind of really being these spokeswomen for um, everything positive. And I think we really did capture that in the album campaign photo shoot. So, you know, every kind of image that was taken, the girls are all like really close and kind of in union with one another. And yeah. you can see, you know, they're really uplifting and it's a sisterhood. And I, and that was even then kind of brought into the music, you know, between us, if you listen to the song and listen to the lyrics, you know, I think it starts off with like, you know, here's my vow starting from here and now, you know, it's like saying I'm dedicated to you and, you know, nothing will come between us. Um, and that I think that itself really was um, the message we led with. You know, we, the music has always spoken to the fans, let it do that, as well as the imaging and um, especially the YouTube series we were having, you know, whether it was little moments where the girls were um, playing little games, talking about what each other's, you know, favourite um, movies were. I remember with um, Jade, they were trying to guess what her favourite Disney film was, which, you know, they wouldn't have known if they wasn't that sisterhood. And... Um, Every song is always about female empowerment, whether it's love, sweet love, or no, um, or cut you off, you know, they really bring everything they stand for within their music. So it's really easy to do that with a band like that. 
Yeah. And I love that you brought that all up because one image that comes to mind is from their Instagram. Um, and that encapsulates everything that you said um, was one where they were all hugging, but wearing like, like almost like male dominant kind of um, suits, like suit jackets that had, uh, yeah. that had like That's a stripe right. in it. Yeah. yeah. And that to me screams like female empowerment and also kind of like gender bent, like bending the gender, um, which all still kind of encapsulates the whole female empowerment saying like, who gives it a crap what we wear, but we're still powerful and we're going, you know, and still bring that through their music too. So um, I love that you say that because I immediately thought about that image. <laughs> yeah. And like that literally is something that happened with the confetti music video is, you know, the, outfits they wore was very purposeful you know when there were um girls in the music video they were wearing you know really baggy um outfits and corsets and just kind of clashed everything together where it was you know feminine to an extent but then still really edgy and they did that on purpose because they were like you know there isn't just one way that girl is supposed to look like you know um and then they did the prosthetics where they changed into men and got to then play around with, again, you know, gender and um, really just kind of show people different representations, like even the dancers. You know, we had um, three of the drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race UK um, in the in the video. And they were doing their, you know, little skits as well, which was, you know, amazing. And so you really just got to see, it was a celebration of everyone and acceptance of everyone. Um, and, you know, Jay's a real, huge advocate for that. And... Even, you know, later this year won the Ally Advocate Award um, at the Gay Times um, award ceremony we had um, in November. So, yeah, they really do everything they stand for. They bring it back to the music. Do you think that they always had like the same core branding and it's just like sometimes the imaging might have changed or maybe expressed what they actually, you know, valued and showed to their um, audience that really made the fans engage more? Um, or if you want to discuss a little bit about that. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it's really important to always remember when they started out as Little Mix in the girl group, they were like 16, 16 yeah. or 17. And the first song they came out with Wings was, you know, about female empowerment and even just empowerment itself. But it did take on that life of female empowerment. And, you know, it's like I know that for a fact is, with the 10-year timeline website I was telling you guys about, we launched our phase two where fans were able to comment on each um, kind of um, carousel that we had put in and were able to say, you know, what their memories were about. And I was I literally had to go manually go through every comment on the Wings video and everyone was like, it really helped me, you know, get through bullying. It helped me with my confidence. It helped me, you know... Um, with you know just finding my friends and my friendship group and really being comfortable with myself and so um what i noticed is with each um album that messaging was consistent of you know being together the girl power standing up for yourself and female empowerment and then to your point about the branding they went from you know being these teen girls to um now motherhood and you really get to see that in each of the campaigns, you know, um, and you get to see that growth. And so I think um, it kind of shows that, you know, your heart can always be the same, but your style can evolve. Um, but that doesn't have to compromise what you stand up for or believe in. Um, 
I love yeah. that. You you gave me chills because it is crazy to follow an artist for that long. It's like thinking about like the last 10 years for us too, putting ourselves in their shoes. It's so insane that yeah, they start at that age and like now they're here yeah. and now their music probably represents like a little bit of like not only their journey, but like um for their future children. <laughs> like yeah. no, it's crazy. 100%. It's crazy. And and now looking at you know, all that they've accomplished from like, you know, nominations to charts, to winning, to like, just everything, basically the, the album, the streams, like everything that you can name. What is their goal in 2022? Have you guys like set benchmarks or goals or like what what's happening next year yeah yeah I think for the girls it's really you know they've still got their confetti tour um to come so you know there's still a lot of activation with them together as a group and I know they'll always support each other and they you know recently were nominated for best group at the Brits I even forgot to mention you know they had won that award um last year well this year 2021 and we're the first girl group to ever win that. So they're still, you know, making these huge milestones and first-time achievements. Um, so going into next year, they do want to um, focus on their individual um, projects and really explore themselves as individuals since, you know, I don't think, I think if you are empathetic and you really think, you know, these girls have been together for 10 years and a group for 10 years, They've never really been able to show themselves as individualists and soloists, which they had auditioned on the X Factor as. And so um, I think they really want to show people different sides to themselves as individuals and will always still carry on that law mixed messaging and bring it back to that. Um, so I think I really like to use the Blackpink or BTS analogy to it, where they are still a super strong group but they do their individual solo projects as well. So I think that's what you can expect from Law Mix next year. I'm excited to see that. Likewise. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be so cool. <laughs> Everybody, they're all up to it. It's going to be so cool. I honestly love that not only you work on their team, but you're their number one fan because <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that totally, that's what helps like when you really truly believe in an artist. Um, so that's really great. Just, to see like you shining through the the camera here. I have one more question. I'm not sure if you said this a little bit earlier when you were talking about experience, but have you met them in person? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. uh, yeah at, at the label is very common for you know artists just to always come in or like okay. um, or you know so I've met them when they've come into the office. Um, and then also, you know, when you go on shoots and you do digital stuff, so you capture digital content with them. Um, and yeah, you're always having meetings with them. Yeah, I remember it was very good. I remember one time we had an artist planning meeting um, just to discuss what the plans for that year would be. And I remember Perry had um, kind of um, photobombed the video, the Zoom call. It was just like, Hey, all what you're all talking about. And it was like so <laughs> unexpected, but really funny and quirky. And yeah, like, yeah, they're the best. They're really um, humble and really nice to be around. That's awesome. awesome to hear. Yeah. I mean, and just in general, like, I wasn't so sure, like, how much interaction 
like just in general, people have like even within the label, especially with the whole pandemic going on, like I just wasn't really sure how yeah. much that's happening. Um, almost still, if it's if if it's something that you can probably do from your computer, but I get a lot of people like to be in person because that just might yeah. be the way too. Um, well, especially when you have to film and shoot, you can't do exactly. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very hard. Like sometimes. Um, it works both ways. Like sometimes if you're explaining to an artist about social strategy and kind of, you know, maybe you're talking about things they should post on Instagram, like coming up with a real trend or something. Um, you can do that over a call. Or sometimes we'll have social agencies helping um, them and an artist will come into office. I think so I work Mo. Um, uh, as it's pronounced, who does like um, Lean On with Major Lazer and Cold War and with a feature on all of those songs. And um, she lives in Copenhagen in Denmark um, and is signed UK domestically. So a lot of times when she does come into the UK and into market, um, we bring her to our social agencies and film a lot of content there and kind of show them, you know, okay, this is like, angles you can use or trends you can use so that when they do go back they're more like digital savvy and can keep up with with all the trends um so yeah it's with the pandemic it's in both both settings now that you're at the label you're in music just thinking about everything what do you want to be known for what do i want to be known for i think after kind of, you know, really kind of evaluating who I am as a person and what I've always stood for, I think I just want to be known for making people feel good. You know, there's that saying that sometimes you don't always remember what someone says to you, but you definitely remember how they made you feel. And so whether that's through, you know, a conversation or through a campaign or, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, I just want to be known for having a good positive impact on people and especially fans you know I do kind of everything I do within the label I always make sure I bring it back to them and their experience since I'm reading their comments and how it certain music videos or activations have touched them is yeah you can't get anything better than that I feel I love that that's so true though it's like we can't possibly remember everything that everyone has told us. But when I think of certain people, I'm like, I don't know. Like I've met them once, but something about them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We loved hearing like everything that you're doing um, and just everything you're doing from a fan standpoint, incorporating them, really making their voices heard and also helping the artists evolve and grow. It's incredible. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me as well. And I think um, this kind of final things I do want to share with uh, your listeners uh, are just kind of a couple of resources which I think would be so helpful. Yes. Um, so I remember um, there's a digital um, course online which people can take called Google Digital Garage. Um, it's a free course and it essentially teaches people about um, all everything digital and all the digital skills you would need to know going into if that was something you wanted to go into and then for um artists well this really helps with you know 
developing artists and even just kind of people wanting to get into the industry. There's this book called um, All You Need to Know About the Music Industry. Um, this is by Donald Passman, and it literally talks about everything from, you know, how to build your team, choosing managers, how labels work, how merchan merchandise work, motion pictures, like, you know, literally anything and everything is in that book. And I would urge, like, everyone to, to read that. Um, no matter like what stage you are in your career, like it's in, and it's a book that constantly gets updated with the time. So it's never outdated. Um, so it will talk about current, current day streaming tactics and how TikTok is affecting the industry and literally everything you need to know. You put on your LinkedIn. Everyone loves to see yeah. a nice certificate. I remember oh, yeah. when, <laughs> when I completed some HubSpot, um, trainings for content marketing, everyone was like, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. <laughs> there's like a YouTube music one as well. So I'll, I'll send you those links so you can share it since they're so helpful. Like yes. literally it tells you the best, how to be the best of the best on each platform. Thank you. Thank you so much. Those are really great resources. So yeah, I mean, thank you for your time. It was really nice meeting you. Talk yes. Uh, yeah. See ya. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Setup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review the Setup on Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have any topic recommendations or questions, please visit us at www.thesetupseries.com.